0: Today's episode of Green and White Noise is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a pop quiz. Do you think Michigan State tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? Well, you can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discover the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play. Work that clock to your advantage and score some last-minute tickets. Oh, they'll fake it. Bates throws it. He's got him yeah, wide open. He's got Charlie Gant inside the ten. He can walk in. Spartans win. Touchdown, MSU.
1: Well, he has trouble with the snap, and the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Green and White Noise. My name is Chris Vanini. I'm joined by Colton Pouncy. We are your hosts. It's time to talk Michigan State football and try to force a fumble instead of wrapping up and tackling. Colton, you have just gotten back to East Lansing after driving back up from Columbus. We're recording this on Sunday night. How was your trip and how was your travel?
1: Yeah, long day of travel, but Columbus was a good time, man. Uh the environment there for a night game is absolutely wild and really cool to see in person. You know, you kind of, kind of watch from afar, but being there for a night game was was just incredible. Um, the press box was nice. You know, I, I tweeted a couple times, but I, I down like six mango smoothies. <laughs> Actually, it might have been seven. Uh, I kind of lost count there, seven. but seven might have been seven pushing it. But uh, yeah, it was a good time, man. I liked it.
0: It's a tough. Uh, it's a tough gig you got there. Oh yeah. So. Uh, Appreciate you guys listening. As you guys know, the Monday pod here is free every week wherever you get podcasts. Our Thursday preview pod is only available on The Athletic. For those of you who listened last Thursday, we had Ari Wasserman, our Ohio State beat writer on, and he gave you the lowdown on a lot of what Ohio State does and a lot of stuff you saw in that game was stuff that Ari told us was going to happen. So uh, great stuff on the Thursday preview pod. I highly recommend you guys subscribe to The Athletic uh, if you have not yet. So Michigan State loses thirty-four to ten. It was a weird game, a weird start to the game. MSU comes out, you know, the final score maybe could have been worse than it was, maybe could have been better than it was. Colton, what was your kind of initial takeaways as as that thing came to an end?
1: Yeah, pretty simple for me. Um, Ohio State is still Ohio State. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, we both agreed that they were the team to beat coming into the season, and. Probably surpassed all expectations at this point. Um, Justin Fields had some issues, probably uh, you know, reading the defense and the coverage early. But you know, his athletic talent just kind of kind of won out at the end. Uh, defensively, Ohio State, you know, once they took a lead and MSU was kind of forced to pass to, to stay in the game, the defense just came after Lewerke. Uh He was kind of a sitting duck back there. Um, and, and honestly, like even before the game, like you look at Ohio state on the field for pregame warmups and their four string defensive end is bigger than anyone on MSU's entire team. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the talent discrepancy it's, it's easy to see. And, you know, I just think the bottom line is the more talented team uh, won out. I,
0: I think I, I come out of this thinking that MSU had a chance. I mean, they had a chance to make it a game and they just, they just didn't too many offensive mistakes. Brian, the played, Uh, really well but just about everybody else around him uh, didn't and you know I think you come out of this game wondering what could have been Uh, you know if MSU does a couple things differently maybe there it's a one score game in the second half or something like that the flip side Ohio State had their own mistakes early Justin Fields missed a handful of open guys drop pass maybe maybe Ohio State uh, there there was a pick six called back so again could have gone either way 34 you're probably right in the middle there. Not a game MSU expected to win, but I think MSU fans don't come don't come out of that game feeling great because it it was as much what Ohio State did as what MSU didn't do. And that was a theme of some of the listener voicemails we got. We we open the line again after the game. Uh, again, every Saturday after the game the line's open. It's 517-798-6319. Give us your thoughts on the games and we got a handful of calls here, so let's play those and share our thoughts on any of those statements or questions. First one is coming from Chicago. Hey,
2: what's up? This is New Dad in Chicago. Not happy. Not happy with the lack of discipline, the lack of fire in the eye, and just just these teams that just don't know how to play. Got two stats for you. Since twenty sixteen, state is one in six against Michigan and Ohio State. Four of those losses, 14 points or more, on top of which, think about it, right? Last four years, Michigan State is 24-20 and overall with a 500 record in the Big Ten. Unacceptable. D'Antonio needs to have a better fire in the eye. He needs to have these guys ready to play. I don't know if it's scheme. I don't know if it's personnel, but I know that something needs to change, and something needs to change quickly. He had an advantage from a coaching standpoint that was a big event he had with a first year coach going in there. For whatever reason, there's a is a great team, but you know what, we went in there a couple of years ago backup quarterback and we got a chance to make it get the win. Unbelievable the way that turned out. Disappointing, not happy.
0: You know, I I think there's actually a lot to this and you think about it, it you know this MSU team is no longer a program that overachieves it's not a program that punches above its weight and i think you look at 24 20 overall 14 and 14 in the big 10 this is kind of what our colleague nick baumgartner wrote uh, on sunday as well uh, msu kind of plays to its talent level and it's the talent level that's a few steps below ohio state it's it's a it's been a, f- a few steps below michigan the last few years uh and and the results bear that out. You know, this isn't the 2013, 2014, 2015 team full of high three stars and four star guys who, who can beat a team full of five stars. They're just, they're not that anymore. Lack of discipline has been a problem for a long time. And, uh, you know, I can't speak to fire in the eye or whatever, but the bottom line is no, this team has not come out and, you know, just, just played above its weight. I, I think the, I think the defense did early in this one. I I got the sense in that first quarter that this was the type of defensive performance that could keep MSU in a game like, like Michigan's win at, at, at the big house a few years ago, but eventually that kind of went away and the offense just never got into a rhythm. And yeah, to me, this is a Michigan state team that the last handful of years under D'Antonio does not overachieve. They won 10 games a few years ago on a ton of one score games. Uh, But those days of 2013 to 2015 are, are, Quite far in the mirror right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, and when you look at those those seasons back then, you know, uh, the teams that are at the top of the Big Ten East right now, uh, they weren't as good back then. You know, it was kind of an easier path for Michigan State to uh, win a lot of games in the conference. You know, rack up those wins, and then at the end of the seasons, like, okay, you just got to see if you can beat Ohio State, maybe knock them off thirteen fifteen, then boom, you're in the Big Ten championship. So, um, you know that. The, the conference has gotten better as a whole. The East Division has gotten better as a whole. So that makes things more difficult. Um, you know, I think, you know, talking about the talent level, you can kind of look at recruiting a little bit and, you know, some of the teams that have kind of come in and challenged Michigan State for players uh, like Northwestern, Purdue, Cincinnati, Kentucky. So some of, the, some of that territory that Michigan State was kind of, you know, feasting off of in years past, you have a lot more competition there. Uh, maybe the talent level, you know, dips a little bit. But in this one, I, you know, I can't really speak to, you know, fire and all that. Um, I just thought, you know, Michigan State could not afford to make mistakes in this one. Um, it shot itself in the foot way too many times if you want to beat a team like Ohio State. Um, you know, after the game, players were, were seemed to be pretty realistic about this loss. Um, you know, D'Antonio said, hey, we're a 4-2 football team. That's where we are. Uh, we'll be defined on where we go from here. And, you know, that, that's that's accurate. Um you know, I think you, you kind of assume you're going to lose this one. Maybe – I know players think you're going to win every game, but this is a tough team to, to beat. And Michigan State didn't, and you're going to lose games like this more often than not.
0: Next call is uh, Chris from Waterford.
3: Hey, Chris and Colton. This is Chris from Waterford. I uh, live on some floor. uh Chris, my freshman uh, I just wanted to say uh, I know State had to play pretty much a perfect game, and they were far from that um, – um, to win this game, but, uh, what are we doing? Um, fourth and short, we're kicking a short field goal and our kicker misses again. Why are we still trotting him out there? Um, why aren't we going for it? Um, at the same time, uh, um, what are we doing? Running wildcat, um, running, running just plays that just do like Dave one type plays, um, on offense when, you know, we, we have to make the plays and unfortunately, you know, the, the turnovers, um, pretty much, we, we had to play a perfect game to win this game and then that just wasn't, wasn't going to happen, uh, right from the get go. You know, two turnovers in the first couple minutes there, but, um, yeah, it just, it seems like the play calling, even, even though we could hold Ohio safer, we could at least keep ourselves in the game a little bit. It just seems like the offensive play calling still. Still sort of held us back, and then unfortunately we just, we just did not make even close to enough plays. Dale Stewart, what are you doing dropping the ball with Brian? You're missing Cody White on a short dump off, and you also had what there is on the left slant. I mean, it, unfortunately, um, it, it's tough. Um, yeah, you know, Michigan State... Hopefully you're playing for Indianapolis and, and as soon as that's ripped from you I, guess, I just, it's hard to it's hard to get excited for the rest of the season when when the Big Ten championships are out you know, it's it's not happening. It's not happening this year, so I I really don't know where we're playing for, uh, for the rest of the season. Anyways, I uh, appreciate the work you guys do. Thank you.
0: Yep. I remember living across hall Holden Hall to West freshman year. Uh, good times. Appreciate the call. Uh, yeah, so, a couple things on on the play calling and decision making here. Kicking a field goal that was like the what the first drive of the second half when they were down twenty seven uh, to uh, ten. I didn't like it. You, you, you just you you ha- when you're down there, you gotta score touchdowns. You're you're only gonna have so many chances. It's easy to say when he missed it. I know, but. That turns it from a 17-point game to a 14-point game. You're still going to need two touchdowns at the very least. Just strangely conservative decision there from D'Antonio. Uh, didn't like it. As for the Wildcat, was needless to say very bad. It was the first time I think we I think it was the first time we've seen it all year. That was the Dave Warner special that everybody really hated because it never ever ever works. Never. Uh, never. And there were a couple of drives, there were like a handful of drives in the second half where the play calling got really weird. It felt like 2018 play calling. But, but honestly, for most of the game, I thought it was pretty good play calling from Brad Salem. It was generally aggressive. The work he was passing down the field. There was a lot of uh, a good mix of passing and running and, and not just two runs and a pass every time. Uh, in general, I thought Brad Salem called a good game outside of a handful of, of, of plays. But the field goal, obviously, everybody's going to point to that, and Matt Coglin is his own problem now where you have to take that into account as well now.
1: Yeah, Chris, I agree. I thought the play calling was fine. Uh, I thought Brad Salem was actually doing a good job. Uh, like you mentioned, a couple a couple questionable calls there. <laughs> didn't, didn't expect to see the Wildcat after last year, but you know, there it is. Um, but I think more than anything, this one was just about player execution. I know coaches have talked about that a lot over the years, but... I think this time specifically, you know, you can't have drops like that. You can't have fumbles. Uh, It sets you back. It sets everything back for for the entire offense. And, um, you know, we saw what happened. As for the field goal, um, you know, in most cases, I I wouldn't mind a field goal attempt. You know, I get the logic to cut it to 14, um, first possession out of the half. But a a few things worth mentioning here. Obviously, Matt Coggins has been struggling. Um, Now, you can't just avoid using him. Um, he's your kicker and he's, you know, he's proved himself to be a good kicker over the years. And he did make one early in that game. But I also think knowing he hasn't exactly been automatic kind of gives you some rope. If you did want to go for it there, which leads me to my second point, you know, the situation you're down 17 points in the second half, your defense can't get off the field. Um, gave up 296 yards in that, that second quarter. Uh, you know, you're, you're playing one of the most explosive offenses in college football a 27-yard field goal attempt does not move the needle all that much. That's not how you beat a team like Ohio State. And coaches opted for the field goal. Coughlin missed, which makes it easier for us to kind of, you know, question that. But I think regardless of the situation, um, you know, that's a spot where I think you should go for it. It was it was fourth and five from the Ohio State nine, I believe. And I think, you know, the way the offense had been moving the ball a little bit, I think you can pick that up. Um, so and I think at that point, once you miss, if it wasn't clear already – Um, it was clear then that, you know, this wasn't going to be in the cards for MSU.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, it was a nine play drive, 66 yards, four minutes. I get, I mean, I get, I get if the idea is you don't want to come away empty handed for that. And again, you expect Coughlin to make a field goal like that, but in the big picture, you were going to need at least two touchdowns anyway. Uh, it just, yeah, I I thought it was too conservative, but overall, you're right. this was not a game I put on the coaches this is a game I put on the players. You know, we we put the Arizona State game on the coaches, uh, but I don't think that was just, you know, fumbles, drops, missing a field goal. That's on the that's on the players. That's not on the coaches. And, and um, you know, I, th- I think it's fair to, to put a lot of this on the players for this one. Uh, last call, Alex from California.
4: Yeah, this is Alex calling from Orange County, California again. Um, I think what made this game yeah. – you know, if if you had just showed, told me the score at the end of the game, or you know, at tonight, 34-10, I would have been like, yeah, you know, that that sounds about right. Wouldn't have been too upset. But I think just watching the game is what made it so bad. I mean, the, the two fumbles in the first four plays, um, you know, hitting your gaps way too early and letting fields get out um, on a couple of plays. just kind of in, what appeared to be getting mulled at the line of scrimmage as early as the second quarter, giving up two hundred and ninety six yards in the second quarter. Um the big plays on the ground, I mean I think I, I think I saw that this was the most rushing yards we allowed since twenty seventeen OSU. I just I thought we would I just a little surprised about how much we were gashed on the ground and, and just the holes that were so available. And the sloppiness again. Um I don't know if part of that was just having to account for fields of like but a little disappointing with that. Um, I think the offense actually looked okay. I'm encouraged about him, believe it or not. Uh, I think next week's going to entirely come down to, you know, can we stop the run again? You know, because like, obviously Jack Cone's a little bit more one dimensional that the a little bit. Um, and so we'll see how we regroup, but we'll see. You know, I just disappointed with how the game went, but not surprised by the final score. Um, hopefully we can regroup. Um, and go into Wisconsin and put together a much more complete game. I felt like this one just had so many, so much sloppiness that it seems to be a, a reoc- reoccurring theme this year. So hopefully we can cut, cut down on that going forward and pull off the upset. All right, go green.
0: So, yeah, after, you know, it was a really good first quarter for the MSU defense, held them to only 16 yards. And, but they started to wear down. They started to, show some of the problems that we've seen in recent weeks and even last year, which was very bad tackling angles, especially from the back seven, from the defensive backs coming down. Xavier Henderson had had a good stuff early in the game. Then he gets caught too deep on another one, and J.K. Dobbins takes it for a big run. Uh, they they eventually kind of got pushed around quite a bit. Runs that were going for zero yards in the first quarter were, were going for three or four. Uh, in in the second quarter on, um, you know, I I think we knew that there were some flaws with this defense and uh, Ohio State just had the talent that uh, if if you make a mistake, if you miss a gap, they're going to take it 60 yards. They were able to contain fields early on, and then a couple times they didn't, and he was gone for 20 yards or something like that. So uh, that's the margin for error. The good news for MSU is you're not going to play a team with that that kind of skill again this year, but those are problems that, that, uh, you know, they're problems that they, that have to be shored up.
1: Yeah. You know, for, for a team that prides itself on stopping the run each and every week, Michigan state gave up 20, gave up 323 rushing yards. Um, that's the most the teams allowed since 2017. And that game was also against Ohio state in Columbus sensing a trend, yeah, sensing
0: a trend when a team is really good with really good players. <laughs> Yeah. They take advantage.
1: Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know the, the tackling, really the last two weeks has been awful. Um, that needs to get cleaned up. Joe Bocce admitted, he, you know, he went for a strip on on a touchdown play there when he. When he yeah, let's talk up.
0: about let's talk about that right now. We are going to talk about it later, but let's talk about that right now. What so what, what did Bachi have to say?
1: Yeah, and he just admitted, you know, he made the wrong call there. He was going for the ball and he should have just tackled. And you know that was he was not the only player to make that mistake. Um, you know Josiah Scott, I think it was. Uh, Dobbins long run where he mm-hmm. caught up to him you know he has the speed to catch him and he kind of like flailed flailed at him a little bit and tried to you know go for the ball and just fell you got to tackle him man like your defense is good enough to get a stop in that area of the field if you can limit him from scoring um, and too many players were going for the ball and you know I think that goes back to you know the, over the summer you know all the talk about you know creating more turnovers uh, defense events coach Tuck Bulla kind of came in with this new like ball disrupt ball disruptment program. Um, where they have these guys practice every day, getting the ball out, you know, scooping, scoring, all that that stuff. Um, It's worked so far this year. They've been creating more turnovers, but I don't know if that's kind of affected their mindset in these big moments where they have to make a split decision whether they wrap up or go for the ball, go for the turnover. So I don't know if that's affecting their thought process here, but it was costly in that game because, you know, you give up a couple of big plays where they should have been tackled right then and there.
0: Yeah, Bocci did it a few times. There were a few times he was – going for the strip and did not get the tackle. And uh, yeah, I mean, both of them are just, it looks embarrassing when you're kind of just getting brushed aside because you're not trying to wrap up. And, you know, we know Bocce's better than that. He had a great first quarter, was wrapping up, and then just, you know, maybe the game's getting away from you. And you're trying to force a turnover, but you can't do it. At, you can't do it at the expense of not getting the tackle. The, Jose, the Josiah Scott one, uh, even, even if you dive and punch it out, nobody else is around there. It's probably going to be recovered by Dobbins anyway. I don't know. Just, it was Now it was just another example of uh, problems in, you know, n- neither of those plays were the reason for the touchdown uh, that, that Josiah Scott play was because Xavier Sim- uh, Henderson missed his, uh, yeah, uh, missed his gap. That was led to the big run. And, and the catch that Bocce was, it was at like the two yard line. Maybe they get touched on anyway. but you know, I'm, on a big on a big stage, for for being known for hitting hard, it was uh, a little uncharacteristic. Yeah. Yeah. So let's take it to the Le'Veon Bell. How did he do that moment of the game? Uh, for me, it was the worky's touchdown pass to Daryl Stewart, fitted in between a window over a guy, uh, and it was a tough catch. It was a little low, and Stewart had to kind of fall forward on his knees to make the catch. Uh, really good. Play between the both of them. Lurkki had a number of really good passes in windows, and that one especially stood out.
1: Yeah, uh, I thought you know Lewerke was playing really well. Daryl Stewart had a tough game, but uh, you know that's a great touchdown catch. You know he got up and sort of celebrated there with his helmet off. Um, he was enjoying that moment. So yeah, I think that was, that's a good choice for this. Um, for for me, I'm going with. The defense holding, you know, this explosive Ohio State offense to three points after back-to-back fumbles, uh, that could have gotten ugly real quick. Yep. Just, just, just knowing, you know, how explosive this offense has been, you know, they're averaging fifty-five points a game coming into this one. It looks like they can score anytime they get the ball. Uh, you know, come away with three points. You know, obviously, you don't want any of those fumbles to happen, but deep in Michigan State territory, you limit them to three points on two possessions. I think that was huge. Um, of course, it did get ugly later, but. It could have gotten ugly right then and there, um, and Michigan State's defense was able to hold up a little bit.
0: Yeah, and speaking of that, that takes us to the John L. Smith screwing it up moment of the game, which John L. Smith screwing up. That was at Ohio Stadium back in 2005 or six. I don't remember (laughs) which one. You have have one you just kind of mentioned, but for me it is the consecutive dropped passes by Daryl Stewart, Uh, In a 24 to 10, I believe it was a 24 10 game at the time. One of them was a easy crossing route uh, right there, and just just missed it. He had a hand. He had a number of drops in this game. That one, that was that last one was on a third down, uh, ended ended a drive. He has he's had a lot of drops this year, which is strange because I talked about before the season about how strong his hands are, and you know if he gets his hands on it, he's usually going to come down with it. But he's had a lot of drops that are, I think are just more mental than anything. Like, we've seen him make tough catch after tough catch, hands in there and stuff like that. But some of these easy ones he's uh, been having a real problem with. So, uh, yeah, you know, it was up-and-down game for Daryl Stewart, who's the top receiver in the Big Ten right now. But uh, a handful of drop passes, especially two in a row, that were very costly. It looked like he, he was very frustrated after the second one. I don't know if he threw his mouth guard up in the air or what it was. But, uh it was clear that the frustration was getting to MSU at that point, and uh, they never they never got the momentum yeah. back.
1: You know, Daryl's Darryl, made his fair share of really difficult catches when the work he's kind of put a lot of zip on it this year. But you know, on the biggest stage, he you know dropped a lot of easy passes. And after the game, he was actually you know pretty hard on himself. And he said, "I'll do whatever it takes to to get myself right, get the team right." And that's just kind of the kind of guy he is. But you know, you can't you can't take this one back. Um, yeah, but for my screwing up moment, I'll go with you know this is kind of the an easy answer, but I'll go with the fumbles again. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. So uh, yeah. <laughs> Antonio, you know, all week long, like him and the players were preaching, you know, we got to play perfect, we got to play mistake free football. Uh, then you come right out with back to back fumbles to start the game. Not great, not great at all. Um, and I guess some people were, I, don't, I guess some people were arguing maybe the white fumble he didn't have possession of the ball I couldn't really see it from where I was
0: I don't think I don't think you could have overturned it it was it was close but I don't think it was enough to overturn either way and Cody White's had his handful of fumbling problems this year
1: yeah and he's got to move past that um and then the pitch to Elijah Collins you know Lewerke took the blame for that one um D'Antoni said later he thought that Lewerke put too much heat on it uh the option there uh, we didn't get to talk to Eli Collins, but I assume he'd say, you know, that's one he has to catch. So it was kind of kind of on both sides, I guess you can say. But that you can't have a, f- a fumble like that, you know. Um, those fumbles ultimately didn't prove too costly because the defense was able to clean up the damage. But um, those are two possessions you like to have back. And you can argue those fumbles didn't exactly help the offense set the tone for that mistake-free style of football they were looking for.
0: Yep, it was a nightmare start. And the fact that it was only 3 nothing was a minor miracle. Um, so the Mike Sadler punt of the game, there were actually a lot of really good uh, options here. Yeah, I'm going with the 48-yarder that went out of bounds at the 4-yard line in the third quarter. Very solid job. You noted during the game that this was a matchup of two very good punters, and it <laughs> lived up to that.
1: Yeah. I tweeted that, and, like, I think people thought I was trying to be snarky or something, but (laughs) (laughs) I was like genuinely excited to watch that punting matchup. Uh, You know, Drew Christmas like nearly beat Michigan State by himself last year in that game, Uh, just how many times he pinned them deep in its own territory. Um, But for my point in the game, I'll go with Jake Hartbarger's uh, 42-yard punt uh, to pin Ohio State at its own five in the first quarter. I thought Dominique Long did a really good job getting down the field and you know, limiting that one before it bounced into the end zone. Uh, you know, people don't really notice, you know, special teams coverage that much. It's, it kind of gets overlooked, but Dominic Long's been really great all year, and you yep. know, he helped Hartbarger in that that scenario.
0: Yeah, basically, almost caught that punt while he was sliding yep. down at the five yard line. Uh, really good job on that. Uh, let's talk about a couple other things. Uh, just random stuff from this game. Uh, we kind of talked about, but Lawrky. Better than the number, the final numbers were. He was 20 for 38, 218 yards, an interception, a touchdown, sacked four times. He also rushed for, they don't have him in the box score.
1: I got negative four, but some sacks in there.
0: This must be, a, for some reason, this box score, doesn't, the one I'm looking at, doesn't have one there. Uh, but that includes the sacks. But he, he did use his legs a handful of times. Uh, played really well. Uh, like, the last... You know, we talked about the Indiana game we thought was his best decision-making game. And even if the numbers didn't bear it out, he made the right call every time. I think he mostly did that here uh, again. And he, problem was this time he didn't get much help. There was one big mistake, though. He The overthrow down in the red zone when he was rolling out to his left through it right overthrow would have been a touchdown. The wheel route was open for a touchdown as well, but uh, obviously you want to have that back, but you know, that's seven points right there instead of a field goal. I think Ohio state got a touchdown right after shortly in a few plays after that, but, uh, mates again, made some really tough throws. I, I do think this is perhaps the best he's ever played, uh, in his, in his career. Um, just for things just aren't clicking in a way that it's leading to a lot of points or it's not leading to the right outcomes every time. But in terms of the decision-making and, and getting it there, it's uh, in a vacuum. It's it's very good. I thought Lewerke played very well, much, much better than the numbers. A couple of drops, fumbles, other things kind of hurt it. Eventually the offensive line got run over and, and Lewerke began uh, fearing for his life out there with those Ohio State linemen and and linebackers but overall I thought really good from Lewerke do you have anything to to add on him anything from him after the game
1: um you know you know he was pretty upset about the loss and everything but I don't you know that game was not lost because of Brian Lewerke he looked really sharp um you know especially in that first half the numbers like you mentioned they don't really do him justice because there are a ton of drop passes in there by the receivers but you know in terms of what you're seeing on the field you know he's putting the ball where it needs to be more often than not and Doing it with velocity and zip and throwing over defenders and, you know, just perfect touch on some of those passes. So, you know, I think it's time to, to put some respect on that man's name. <laughs> uh, this is a guy who went he went through hell last year, uh, had people questioning whether he could even be the starter or whether his shoulder would ever be right. And, you know, this year it, it hasn't always been pretty. You know, he's missed some plays that have left points on the board. He always has that, you know, a couple plays a game that kind of make you scratch your head. But at the end of the day, I think he deserves a ton of credit for the way he's bounced back in his final season. Um, You know, Brian Lewerke is a good college quarterback that can win you some games, um, and that'll be the task going forward, you know, with this tough schedule coming up here.
0: Yeah, last thoughts on Ohio State. You really saw Justin Fields' explosiveness. At first, he looked like a freshman for the first time in that first quarter. He was not seeing things well. The pressure was getting to him. And you wondered if, oh, this is his first real test. Is this going to be, in an extended period of time, not counting stuff at Georgia, uh, is this going to be, um, uh, is he going to have some problems here? But after the first handful of drives, especially second quarter, you could tell he figured it out. He settled in. He was was no longer looking at the line. He found the open guys and hit him in stride this time after missing them in the first quarter. And he, 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 He's so big and takes such long strides that he's running a lot faster than he looks down the field. It kind of felt like um, Terrell Pryor or like Kellen Bond, kind of that, that same running style where he's going. He's just gone before he even realizes he's gone. And and I think he's subtly really good at avoiding uh, getting wrapped up in the pocket. Just a couple of shifts one way or the other. MSU could not get to him at t- ton of times they got some pressure on him but he was able to wiggle out of it pretty well uh, while keeping his head down the field by the end I was very impressed with, with Justin Fields and, and uh, what he's going to do to a lot of teams for a number of years moving forward still uh, what did you make of uh, of Fields
1: yeah you know I I think he just a really good feel for the game um, you know when the pressure's coming he can kind of escape and you know roll out and use his mobility to, to make plays and extend plays. And that's something Mark Antonio talked about, you know, one of the issues for this MSU defense, um, you know, he kind of struggled in that first, first quarter with some of his reads and, you know, kind of, you know, you're playing a, a top 10 defense, a top 15 defense in the country for the very first time, you know, that's, that's a tough challenge for any young quarterback, but, you know, I think once he got past that first quarter, he kind of locked in and got more comfortable as the game progressed. Uh, obviously, you know, you put up 296 yards in the second quarter. I think you're feeling pretty good about that. Um, And, you know, overall, he's a dynamic talent. Uh, You know, Mark Antonio said after the game, or said in his his Sunday teleconference, that this Ohio State team might be the most talented that, you know, he's ever gone against, one of the best teams he's ever gone against in in its current state right now. And a lot of that has to do with Justin Fields and the type of quarterback he is. You know, this is the highest-rated recruit that has ever walked onto the field for Ohio State. And that's saying a lot because they've had – A ton of four- and five-star guys here. Um, So to see what he's doing at such a young age, and he's going to get better as the season progresses. um, You know, not the best stats in this one. uh, 206 yards and two touchdowns through his first interception. But, you know, the things he can do with his legs, extending plays, all of that's there. And he's just going to get better from here. So we're talking maybe, you know, future first-round pick next year. Um, So he's going to be a really good player.
0: Yeah. What did you make of the MSU offensive line? I thought they were – okay in the first half they were all right i i expected chase young to just be running down brian leworthy left and right and um the second half you know they kind of wore down jordan reed just apparently decided not to block a guy on that one play i i don't understand what the call is there and why he's i don't know it's very weird but uh you know elijah college finished with 63 yards on 12 carries 5.2 per carry uh he showed some good bursts there were a handful of holes a couple of times I, the MSU offensive line was not I, I know they ended up getting sacked four times by the end but for at least the first half they held up better than I thought they did thought they would have I I, I picked I picked a 45 to 10 game and I thought it was just going to be Lewerke running for his life all day and it wasn't totally the case but um you know do you have any thoughts on that
1: yeah you know I- I think Lewerke was so, you know, sure of himself in that first half, um, just so in command with what he wanted to do with the ball that that kind of, you know, hid the offensive line a little bit. And, um, you know, you didn't see a ton of Chase Young in that first half. But once Michigan State got down and, you know, you're trailing by 17 points and even more, 24 points, and then you just got to start throwing the ball. Ohio State knows you're going to throw the ball, so they're just sending dudes after you. And that's where we saw some of the struggles come in. Um, You saw the sacks rack up. Lewerke was a sitting duck. And, uh, you know, I think that's that's a result of the situation in that, in that point in the game. But, you know, you, we weren't expecting this Michigan State offensive line to, you know, kind of mask Ohio State's in a way. So, I, I think the performance, you know, hit or miss at times throughout the game. But um, I really think it was that, that second half and just, you know, the, the situation of the game that kind of uh, turned things up for Ohio State's defense there.
0: Yeah. So, next is a trip to Wisconsin. We will talk about that on Thursday. Uh, but – any last feelings on MSU coming out of this game? To me, you know, if, if they, if the offense connects on those mistakes that they made, if Leric, hits a guy, if they don't fumble the ball away, if Daryl Stewart doesn't drop some passes and the offense plays like that, this could be a team that still wins eight or nine games, you know, that would, that would put you at uh, one or two losses the rest of the way. Um, But if they don't put it together and they don't get it all clicking, it's a team that could go seven and five, or even if things get really bad, six and six, I I'm probably not going to happen, but could be a seven and five, six, six type of team. If they don't put it all together, it, it's weird. Cause MSU like offensively, the, the raw numbers look good, but it's just, it hasn't really clicked very much in games, put it all together. So, uh, still as this tough stretch comes up, Wisconsin and Penn state and, um, in, in michigan down the road still hard to know where the season's going to go but do you have any final thoughts on kind of where msu stands coming out of this test
1: yeah you know i, I just think it's more about what's next um this game it would have been tough to win uh regardless of you know how msu played uh even if they had some breaks go their way uh ohio state's just just the better team so i think after this you you got to regroup because uh, your season is on the line right here this is it you go oh and two against you know Wisconsin coming up here, uh, you lose to Penn State at home, then you have four losses. You're 4-4 four and four at that point with another game against, you know, a ranked Michigan team in Ann Arbor. Uh, you lose that one, you're at five losses. So that that would be a huge disappointment considering, you know, some of the expectations that players had for themselves and, you know, the, the talk of a, of a 10-win season, I think, you know, you're stuck at 7-5. and five. I think that's a disappointment. And that's assuming you win, you know, against Rutgers and Maryland and Illinois. You know, you never know if you're going to lose one of those. Um, and on, on the flip side, you know, if you do split Wisconsin and, and Penn State and, you know, you take care of business against the teams that you're supposed to take care of business against, um, and then you beat Michigan, you know, that's, that's a 9-3 and three regular season. Uh, you make a bowl, uh, chance for 10 wins. That's, you know, essentially kind of what we predicted before the season. So you're kind of right in line there. It's not the Big Ten championship season that people would hope for, but that's still a nice year with, with a chance for double-digit wins. So. You, know, you can't get to that point unless you you, you win one of these next two, uh, position yourself to pick up those easy wins against Illinois, um, and then you, you obviously have to beat Michigan at the end of the year. So I think that's kind of what you're looking at if you're an MSU fan at this point.
0: But either way, this is likely to be the first full four-year D'Antonio class that does not win uh, the Big Ten, unless some things get, uh, get a little freaky down the stretch. Uh, Colton... Anything coming up this week uh, yet that readers should be looking for? And I know you got some stuff coming out of the game.
1: Yeah. Uh, upon further review, we'll be up Monday. Um, just kind of recapping some of the things that we talked about in this podcast, but going maybe a little bit further in depth with that. Um, good I'll stuff in there.
0: Good good stuff in there with numbers and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. I highly recommend you check that out.
1: Appreciate that. And then, um, yeah, I'll hop on a live Q&A with our Wisconsin beat writer, uh, Jesse Temple. And that's always, you know, a really cool subscriber feature. And I really enjoy doing those things and and chatting with you guys. So I think that'll be 2 p.m. Eastern time. I think that's kind of the the time that we've mapped out. So, yeah, feel free to ask. What what day is that? That, Oh, sorry. Yeah, that'll be Wednesday. Um, So, yeah, feel free to ask Jesse any Wisconsin-related questions you might have. Um, And then later in the week, I kind of want to take a look at just, you know, we're halfway through the season, six games in. I want to take a closer look at uh, just the MSU offense through six games just going to dive into some of those numbers uh the personnel they've been using and uh where they where they rank among national teams in the conference and anything else that that might be of interest there so look out for that later in the week
0: it's time to get ready for the border battle what used to be msu's before your time colton there was a there was a couple year stretch where wisconsin was msu's biggest rival uh because they they played in so many big games especially in uh, uh, 2011 2011-2010, 2011-2010, the Kirk Cousins Hail Mary game, the, I was, yeah. the, the the Big Ten championship game, and then uh, Big Ten's changed schedule and didn't see Wisconsin very much after that. So we will talk more Wisconsin on Thursday. That'll do it here. Again, the Thursday pod preview pod will be available only for subscribers. Uh, in the meantime, please rate, review, subscribe. Tell your friends. Tweet at us. Let us know what you think. I'm at Chris Vanini on Twitter he's at colton Pouncy, there's no e Col- At colton underscore pouncey i'm sorry thank you and there's no e <laughs> in the last name not no like e. the not like the pouncey twins uh, but <laughs> but uh yes appreciate you guys uh, calling, and leaving the voicemails appreciate the twitter comments and uh, appreciate you listening and for colton it's chris vanini thanks to our producer mike zimmerman shout out to the road dog jesse james and we will see you on the other side